And hello everyone, my name is Travis Bukowski, coming at you live from the great state of Florida. And hello everyone to my very first episode of All of My Heroes Wore Spandex, dot dot dot, except for that one guy who wore a skirt. I can't thank you so much everybody for joining me for this very first episode. And yes, once again, my name is Travis Bukowski, and I want to start things off with a quick intro of who I am and what I've done when it comes to the uh, world of pro wrestling. Now, I've been uh, a fan of pro wrestling since I was four years old, which is quite a few years now. Uh, not just a regular fan, but a hardcore fan following every single second of every single match. As far as the actual wrestling business, in uh, the year 2000, I started training to be a pro wrestler uh, with the wonderful Dory Funk Jr. in Ocala, Florida. I had an amazing, amazing time. Uh, one of my favorite things, I got to wrestle the wonderful AJ Styles. Uh, I also got to uh, do a security spot in the first ever NWA TNA pay-per-views uh, several years ago. About, I guess it's about 18 years ago now. But uh, since then, I stopped wrestling uh, in 03 to uh, go on and be a TV news producer, videographer, reporter, and everything. But since then, over the last couple of years, I've been wanting to get back into the business. And just a couple of years ago, I was able to be a ring announcer for a uh, wrestling company down here based in Central Florida uh, called Manor Pro Wrestling, which I believe is working out of Winter Garden now uh, near Legoland. So that was a lot of fun. I'd love to do things like that again, and I'd like to get in the ring again. Um, but it's just been I've been overwhelmed with a regular job of, of being a producer, being a journalist, and a writer. But ladies and gentlemen, everyone watching this show, you're probably wondering what this thing is all about. And it's really about two things. Well, one thing. With two words, pro wrestling. Old and new. I call this thing All of My Heroes Wear Spandex because this show is, uh, is all about looking back to wrestling of the 80s, 90s, but also to today. So this isn't just about retro things. This isn't just about 80s wrestling, although there'll be a lot of that and a lot of talk about that. This is also going to be about current day products. Uh, everything to doing with pro wrestling. Old and new stories that I have, stories I want to share with you guys. And, of course, the latest news, the latest happenings going on in pro wrestling. It's a crazy time and an amazing time to be a pro wrestling fan right now. It might be one of the best times ever as we have so many great companies up and coming. Uh, of course, the obvious All Elite Wrestling. It's, it's, uh, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. I think it's just going to get better. Competition is good for everybody. So I'm looking forward to talking about that and other things. And then also I'd like to do some interviews with wrestlers, a lot of wrestlers that I know uh, personally, ones that I don't, and then some other things down the road, so this isn't just a one-person show. But for the meantime, since this is a one-person show, I want all of you guys out there to give me your thoughts, your questions, your subjects uh, for me to talk about everything and anything that you want me to mention. Email me. All you got to do is go to all of my heroes or spandex at yahoo.com. And email me what you want me to talk about, what you want to talk about. That way we can have some kind of a two-way uh, back and forth, um, sort of, for the time being. And uh, tell me what you want to hear on this show. And anything and everything when it comes to pro wrestling. 
current day product, uh, you know, everything from the late 70s or even, you know, older, I don't care, Gorgeous George, I don't care, from the 50s all the way up to All Elite Wrestling, Major League Wrestling, uh, anything involving New Japan, WWE, it doesn't matter. Email me, tell me what you think. And finally, before I start off with my first uh, story that I'd like to tell for this show, I just want to say I, you know, there's a lot of negativity on the internet, a lot of uh, angry people on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and podcasts, I guess, as well. You know, this show is about positivity. This show is all about talking about the great things about pro wrestling. Sure, there's a lot of negative things in pro wrestling, things that we won't all agree on and we won't like. And we will talk about those. But this is about being positive. This show is going to be all about keeping our head straight on and just talking about glorifying the great stuff that we've enjoyed as kids up to today. Sure, we're going to talk about what can use some improvements, what companies we don't care for as much as others, but we want to keep it positive. So as far as all your emails out there, one more time, all of my heroes wore spandex at yahoo.com. Just keep those emails coming. I don't care what you're asking me as long as it involves pro wrestling. And we'll go ahead and uh, try to answer questions and just have commentary and, and amazing subjects and you know, just to give you an idea, one of the things that I want to talk about in the future, on a future show, is, uh, uh, which I think would be a great, great subject and a great thing to just sit around and, and discuss, would be what wrestler from the 80s uh, who did not win the WWF heavyweight title in the days of Hulk Hogan, who would have been a great foil for Hogan? Who would have been a great heel that never got that title? There's a lot of guys out there that people talk about. There's two in particular that I have in mind. But again, that's a show for another time. But that's just to give you a little taste of what I want to talk about here on All of My Heroes Wore Spandex. The old stuff, the new stuff, onward and upward. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to start off with, uh, with a great story here that I had on my blog. I still do. Not had, but have. And it's called My First Time. And I'm basically going to intertwine a bunch of different things. But here we go, my first time. This is all about, you know, like I said earlier, I've been a pro wrestling fan since I was four years old, and that's been a while now. So I've seen quite a bit, and I've seen a lot of good things in person as well. And my first time I ever saw a live event was January of 1987 in a little town called Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, they had a building there. Well, I guess they still do called the Allentown Agricultural Hall. Uh, very old building. Very uh, historic. A lot of stuff has happened there, wrestling and non-wrestling. Um, but I just remember as a kid, 1987, you know, I'm eight, nine years old here, and I was lucky enough to score second-row tickets to my first-ever live WWF event. And I get in there, and you've got you know, a very small merchandise table, and then you get up there and uh, toward the seats, and I'm looking and just in awe of seeing the ring, just the ring itself, just sitting there with the red, white, and blue ropes, you know, the, the blue apron, the light, very light blue mat. Uh, it was great to just to see that, but sitting there and, um, you know, looking straight up, they have these huge ceiling fans, which had to be 40 feet in the air, 
which made absolutely no difference whether they were on or not. There, there was no air conditioning in this building. There was no heat in this building. Whatever it was outside was what it was inside. And again, this was January in Pennsylvania, 1987. It was cold. But uh, the crowd, you know, a lot of people talk about sports fans in Philadelphia. Well, this was no different. Uh, sports fans and wrestling fans in particular are pretty crazy up there, pretty hardcore. And uh, we had a lot of them there with me, surrounding me. And I remember one of the groups that I remember the most was uh, this group of old ladies. There had to be about a half dozen of them. And they brought this giant cowbell. So when anything that they thought was great happened, they would be ringing. And it was right behind me. I was a little kid and it was too loud, but they were crazy. And that was just part of the whole experience of, of seeing a live WWF event, especially in those days. Now, I brought up here on the Internet uh, the entire card from January of 1987. I actually just came across this recently, and I was very surprised when I saw it but I just want to quickly go through the card. And it's not going to take long because there's only six matches, but the first two matches actually had the same guy in them, a guy that a lot of people are talking about on the Internet right now, and that was Scott McGee. Uh, the very first match of that, so the very first match I ever saw live was Scott McGee against Barry O. Barry O, of course, uh, Cowboy Bob Orton's brother, uh, who just went by Barry O. Actually, Barry is one of my favorite uh enhancement talent wrestlers. Some people want to call them jobber wrestlers, mid-carders, whatever you want to call them. Barrio is one of my favorites, and trust me, I'm going to be talking a lot about these so-called jobber wrestlers because they were some of my, and still are, some of my favorite subjects and some of my favorite people in this business because they really, you know, held up the entire company for many, many years. Uh, they did the majority of the work putting people over, but anyway, we'll talk about that another time. The second match, Scott McGee, again, against someone named Red Demon. I have no idea who that is. And then we had a tag team match. Rick Martel and Tom Zink, the failed Can-Am connection, went against the Dream Team, Greg Hammer Valentine, and Brutus Beefcake. He wasn't the barber yet. Match four, Pedro Morales defeated Magnificent Don Morocco. Match five, Moondog Spot took out Cousin Luke. And then the main event. The very first show I ever got to go to as a kid wasn't just a regular main event. It was a steel cage match. One-on-one, -on -one, Jake the Snake Roberts and George the Animal Steel. Two very big names from the 80s. Well, I remember it took probably a good 15, 20 minutes, maybe even a half an hour, for all the guys to set up the steel cage. And this was a a real steel cage. This is a cyclone fence. This wasn't the big blue steel cage you saw at WrestleMania 2. Um, this was a real deal thing. So this, um, it looked pretty dangerous, very ominous. And, uh, you know, George came out and Jake came out and it was amazing. And uh, one of my favorite memories from that show was the fact that uh, at one point, at some point during the match, he was outside the ring so it was either, you know, right before or right after, since this was a steel cage match, uh, George started gathering people's um, soda cups. And we had some kind of weird soda cups in Allentown. I don't know what the heck they were, but they were basically folded up at the top, as if you were to take a regular paper cup, crush it, and, like, take it over and just fold it and staple it. You need to stick a straw on the side. I have no idea why they did that. 
Uh, and I only ever saw that there. But he was collecting people's cups. He gathered, he just took people. He's like, here, give me another one, give me another one. And he had like 20 of them, and an armful of them. And he sat them down like on a chair or something, and he started throwing them. He was throwing these things over the ring, empty cups, one after another after another, just being George, you know, in the moment. And like the, at the sixth or seventh cup, without even noticing, he throws it, and it's about three quarters full of soda. The thing goes all over. It goes all over the ring, goes all over people in the audience. He puts his hand up to his face and kind of gasps, and he stops throwing the cups. I uh, decided that wasn't a good idea, but uh, that was a great moment. But anyway, they got in the ring, and as we all would expect, George Steele rips open a turnbuckle at some point. His trademark move, he goes over and bites the thing, takes his hands, rips it apart. The foam goes everywhere. And from January 1987 to this day, I have kept two pieces of foam um, as very, very uh, prized possessions for me. Uh, I still have them to this day. They're up on a shelf in a little container. And they came directly out of an official WWF turnbuckle from 1987 that George Steele ripped open on that night. It was amazing. When it was all said and done, you know, just like a lot of people say, uh, I don't remember the match so much. But I do remember that Jake won. And not because he won, but because, you know, in a steel cage match, you either leave through the door to win, or you climb over the fence, over the cage, outside the cage, and jump down to the floor. That's how you win, especially in the 80s, in a cage match. There were no pinfall submissions. It was just get out of the cage. Jake won. And the reason I remember that, and I don't need to look on the internet to see that he won, was the fact that we somehow took this amazing, amazing picture of Jake climbing down the outside of the cage, just moments from jumping to the floor and winning this thing officially. And I have this up on my, uh, on my blog, and uh, you know I'll point it out, and I'll reshare it on social media later. But this amazing, amazing picture that I've, I've never seen anyone ever take before, and it was completely by accident. It was this close-up, of Jake's head, uh, well actually it was his like upper torso, climbing down the fence, climbing down the cage, take it, we get the film developed, you know, like a week later, because, you know, it was 1987, it, it wasn't instant, it wasn't digital, and uh, we get him, and we look, and we see this great picture of Jake, this profile picture of Jake, all sweaty, all blooded, bloody, uh, coming down the cage, but there's something weird here. There's something in his mouth. There's something in his teeth. And we have no idea what it is. So we take, we get doubles of it. We take a, uh, a double. And again, 1987, we had to, I believe, send it off somewhere. Because we want to get it enlarged to get an idea of what the heck this thing is. So we get it. We get it enlarged. We have this big picture of him. And I still have this picture to this day. Again, I've uploaded it so you guys can see it. But it's basically, uh, you can see something in Jake's teeth. And to this day, I'd like for Jake to tell me what that thing is if I ever see him again. I've met him and talked to him once and didn't think about this picture at the time. But we all in the 80s thought that it was a blood capsule in his mouth. Very easily, most likely was a blade because blood capsules weren't really used that much. 
or were they? Uh, again, I'll have to ask them one day. But uh, it's an awesome, awesome picture. And one of the amazing things about that picture is it kind of, you know, in 1987, kayfabe was still in. It was still going. They didn't really expose the business yet. And that was one of the most awesome things about this time period in pro wrestling is, you know, a lot of people still thought it was legitimate, especially people in Pennsylvania, because they're crazy. But um, now we didn't know what it was in his mouth. And getting that picture of him with whatever it was in his mouth revealed to all of us that something more was going on than meets the eye in this match and in this business. And it was an awesome picture, and I love it to this day. And to go along with, you know, all that, the kayfabe in 1987 as a kid, uh, it, makes, it just made it much more magical. And I remember when that show was over, I didn't want to leave. You know, I wanted to see them take down the ring, take it apart, and see what was under there. And I wasn't alone. There was a ton of people standing there. And they, we stood there and stood there and stood there. And finally, people were like, no, no, you got to go. You got to leave. So they forced us to leave the arena before they tore the ring down because they didn't want us to see what was under there. Protecting the business, 1987. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then, you know, they can force us to leave. But I'm not leaving just yet. So I went around the back. Uh, wanted to see the wrestlers leave. And a lot of them did. Uh, some of them we didn't see leave. They might have left earlier. But I'll never forget uh, this awesome, awesome thing was um, this guy came out dressed in a suit and he was basically George the Animal Steel with a suit on. And all, you know, all of us kids, uh, there was like, you know, a dozen of us ran up to him. It's like, hey, can I get your autograph? Can I get your autograph? You know, you're George Steel. And he's like, no, I'm not. And we're like, yeah, you are. You're George Steel. And he's like, no, I'm not George Steel. I'm Jim Myers. And he just kept on walking, and we were all stunned because we were, you know, convinced that that was the animal. And he told us he wasn't. Of course, as a stupid little kid in 1987, we didn't know George Steele's real name was Jim Myers, and he just, uh, he left, he walked out, no longer, uh, you know, in character. Because I guess basically George the Animal was, you know, from curtain to curtain, and when the show was over, he went back to being Jim. Uh, I would have loved to have sat down and did a nice long interview with, with, uh, with George uh, before he passed, but uh, didn't get that chance. But I really love that memory, and I'll always have it. And, uh, you know, to wrap this up, it would be some nine years later, I would return to the Allentown Ag Hall to see the very first show of ECW there in Allentown. Um, you know, Allentown, a lot of people might never heard of it, or some of them might because of that song, but Allentown was a big, big deal for wrestling uh, back in the 80s because that was like what the ECW arena was to ECW, or the Omni in Atlanta was to NWA or WCW. Allentown was for WWF for years. Through the mid to late 70s and early 80s, Allentown was where uh, the WWF shot a ton, ton, ton of their shows, their weekly shows, their matches, their big matches. Uh, there was some crazy stuff that happened there. Allentown was where, you know, Sergeant Slaughter first ever used music and, you know, 
uh, Vince's father was was uh, you know was like, hey, what is that? That's crazy, and and that put him over. And of course, Allentown was where that historic Piper's Pit took place, where uh, Roddy Piper took the coconut and destroyed it over the head of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. The most memorable Piper's Pit of all time, I would say. Either that or the one involving uh, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, for sure. But Allentown was a very important building. And again, as a kid at that point, I did not know that. Looking back, I know it. But anyway, that was my first time as a little kid pro wrestling fan. And I haven't looked back. And uh, going to live events is the most amazing, awesome thing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this show. This is my first ever show, and this is just a little taste of what I have in store for all you guys in the weeks and months to come. Once again, all of my heroes were spandex at yahoo.com. That's where you guys can email me. Tell me what you think. Uh, anything and everything in the pro wrestling world, just email me. Let me know what you want me to talk about. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. And until next time, I'll see you.